course of America's history, women have had different types of opportunities. You know, originally, uh, they did not have the opportunity to go to school. And then they had the opportunity to attend women's only institutions. And then they had the opportunity to attend co-educational institutions. But what we're hearing from many women is that attending a women's institution gives them the strength, it empowers them in terms of formulating their own ideas and becoming secure in their own values so that when they leave and enter the world of work, which is not always as friendly uh, to women, that they've got that foundation, they've got that basis that they understand who they are they found their voice, and they're not afraid uh, to use it. Hello, welcome to season two of Ingenious You, the podcast where we talk about higher education, innovative practice, and leading edge thinking. Your host is Melissa Morris Olson. The challenges facing colleges and universities short-term and in the years to come are immense, and yet many institutions are adapting in surprising and inspiring ways. In each episode of Ingenious U, we will talk with higher education thought leaders about the academic transformation that is underway. Our guests will include college and university leaders, faculty, innovators, futurists, and others who are thinking about and experimenting with new approaches. Be sure to hit subscribe to Ingenious You wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can rate, interview this podcast and share with your colleagues and friends so they can join the conversation too. Everyone, and welcome to this new season of Ingenious You. At the end of season one, we asked you, our listeners, who you most wanted to hear from in season two. And I'm so very pleased to let you know that we have been able to connect with many of the individuals who have been recommended. And we look forward to sharing these conversations and the wonderful insights with you in the coming weeks and months. Given that Ingenious You is hosted by the Center for Higher Ed Leadership and Innovative Practice at Baypath University, it is very fitting that our kickoff conversation for the new season is with our brand new president of Baypath, Sandra Doran. President Doran began her tenure as Baypath's sixth president this past summer, right in the middle of a pandemic. I've included a link to her impressive bio in this episode's show notes, but I do want to begin this interview by reading something from her bio that gives us a a wonderfully personal window into who she is, and here it is. President Doran believes that a college presidency is not a career choice. It is a very specific calling that serves both a personal and institutional purpose. Her distinguished career as an academic leader, senior executive in the corporate sector, lawyer, innovator, and battle-tested entrepreneur has provided her with a unique skill set that she will utilize to ensure that Baypath University continues to excel in pursuing its core mission of empowering undergraduate women and graduate women and men to become leaders in their careers and communities. President Doran, welcome to Ingenious You. We are so thrilled to have you, 
as our first guest for the new season. Thank you, Dr. Morris Olson. I am thrilled to be here uh, and to share this episode with you. Wonderful. Well, as you may know, we like to start every interview asking our guests to tell us something about where their journey began. And so can you share with our listeners what first drew you into higher education as a career path? So Dr. Morris Olson, I was raised in a family of educators and community servants. So beginning in the early 1900s, uh, my great-grandfather and great-grandmother uh, set out on a wagon train to Colorado to open one of the first one-room schoolhouses. Following that, my grandfather was a math teacher uh, and rose through the ranks of public education to become a superintendent for a large school district in upstate New York. My mother returned to school as an adult, finished her degree and went on to be a music teacher, having a long career, again, in public education as well as private education. So I come from a long line of people who care very much about public and private education, who value uh, the liberal arts. And so, of course, uh, that became part of my career path. It sounds like it's in your DNA. Almost. It is. It is. The, the <laughs> other career path that's in my DNA is uh, lawyering. So my grandfather mm -hmm. uh, was a bankruptcy lawyer during the Depression. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about community servants and community service, I always think about him because during the Depression, and none of us were alive then, um, you know, many people couldn't make ends meet. And so instead of taking cash payment, he would take payment in goods or IOUs. And I remember when he died, he had a drawer full of IOUs. So, so that passion for community uh, and lawyers are educators as well for education runs deep in my family. Mm, boy, what, what wonderful threads that you bring together uh, in, in your new role and how lucky BayPath is. So let me then ask you, how did you get to BayPath and what is it about BayPath that attracted you? Well, you mentioned BayPath being lucky. I feel honored and privileged uh, to lead this great institution. This was the only institution uh, I was interested in. It is innovation driven, focused on our mission, serving all women's, as you mentioned, uh, adults returning to school, women adults, um, the women's college as an undergraduate college serving more traditional women. And then of course, we've got our graduate men and women enrolled in our graduate courses, um, masters, doctorates, and it's the mission that really attracted me, mm. the mission, the students, the faculty and staff, the community, all engaged around the success of our students. It's exciting. Mm. Yeah, no, and I can hear it. I can hear it coming through in your voice. So um, now you began your presidency last summer in the midst of a pandemic. Tell us what that was like. Well, it was a bit unexpected as you can imagine, but I will say the Bay Path community is one like most communities. 
uh, that really embraced uh, me as a new president. Um, uh, many of us were learning how to communicate on Zoom, learning how to communicate uh, remotely to build connections, to build an intimate relationship so that we could all move forward. And it wasn't just here at Baypath, it was all across the land, not just America, but the world. For me, it gave me the opportunity to have very intimate conversations with faculty, staff, community leaders. You know, normally we'd have 50, 60, 70 people in an auditorium. And so we'd all be talking uh, in an auditorium together. Now I have the opportunity to talk with people in their own homes. And that has been a very special experience for me. Students as well. And I've learned a lot. Um, you know, I've learned about how hard it is to teach and learn when you're also teaching uh, young children, when you're also caring mm -hmm. for your parents or your sisters or your brothers. So it has given me a new understanding, frankly, of both of our, both our students and our faculty and staff about how challenging it can be uh, to teach and learn, not just during a pandemic, but in everyday life. And I can only imagine how valuable that uh, perspective will be for you as you go forward and you're making decisions that will impact students and faculty and staff. Well, it's a very interesting um, point that you bring up, which is that one of the things I feel is so important is this notion of uh, transparency, open communication. And because we've all been a Zoom environment, you know, we've had to be much more deliberate in how we communicate, how we share information, how we make decisions. And I would say one of the things that I valued so much uh, from this community is how everyone came together around really difficult decisions. For example, the pandemic that you referenced. As a community, we engaged more than 75 people in our community to think about, you know, what were the principles that we were gonna use, the guiding principles um, for a fall semester? What would the student learning experience look like? What would the faculty experience be look like? What was required uh, to be safe, to be healthy, and to ensure that everyone had the best opportunity to learn? And so using that model of collaboration and, and bringing people together from different disciplines uh, who all brought a very important lens, whether it was public safety, whether it was um, you know, a clinical perspective, whether it was a faculty member talking about seminars, all of those perspectives came together. And it's been a terrific model. We've used it uh, again. We've used it for some of our DEI work uh, you might remember uh, we created a DEI council here maybe five or six years ago. Melissa, you were one of the, the yes. founders mm -hmm. of that council. Uh, and I'm grateful for you for laying all that foundation and continuing to be engaged in all that work. But here again, another opportunity for us to collaborate, to bring experts together, to bring students together, all, uh, all towards solving a problem. And so it, it's given mm. us new opportunities to think about how best to solve problems. And so far it's worked very well. Right. Right. And that's, that's 
it's a wonderful example of how even in the midst of a very challenging situation, you have been able to take from it to create models that that may serve and will serve the institution well going forward. I mean, it sounds like a uh, sounds like you're on a really good uh, role in terms of in terms of that. Let me switch gears a little bit here. Uh, you've been described as having a deep and a profound commitment to women's education. I've heard you talk about this uh, yourself personally. Where does that come from and why is this important to you? This is a very personal issue for me because I have seen the results firsthand. My grandmother attended Barnard, an all women's education mm. uh, educational institution um, back in, I want to say the 1920s. Uh, my mother attended an all women's education, uh, educational institution when she returned to college. My daughter attended an all girls high school. So I know firsthand mm. the power um, of, of building a network of collaboration, of thinking together about how to empower women, how to lift women up. You know, over the course of America's history, women have had different types of opportunities. You know, originally uh, they did not have the opportunity to go to school. And then they had the opportunity to attend women's only institutions. And then they had the opportunity to attend co-educational institutions. But what we're hearing from many women is that attending a women's institution gives them the strength, it empowers them in terms of formulating their own ideas and becoming secure in their own values so that when they leave and enter the world of work, which is not always as friendly uh, to women, that they've got that foundation, they've got that basis that they understand who they are, they found their voice and they're not afraid uh, to use it. And I think we're seeing this uh, in other areas as well. When you think about the national landscape, when you think about um, women who have been elected at every level of office, from school committee to judges to uh, state legislatures to the National Congress, as well as to uh, Vice President-elect Harris, we see that women are using their voice. And so our role, our job, as a women's college is to help them formulate that voice and empower them to use it. Mm. Now, as you know, the number of women's colleges in this country has been on a steep decline over the last several years. And one of the questions that I would often get as provost, and I'm sure you are getting this as president, um, is given all of this progress that women have made and given the fact that women now have access to all kinds of educational opportunities, is there still a future for women's colleges? And if so, what does that future look like? And I'd, so I'd love, to, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So Melissa, that. I think about this in a couple of different ways. Uh, the pandemic has certainly changed everything. Not, not just in terms of education, but in terms of uh, economics, socioeconomic conditions, in terms of the financial positions of our students, our graduates, women in general. Um, in fact, there was a Forbes article 
that was released in July, which stated data that over 11 million women had lost their jobs between March 15th and June 30th. I can only assume uh, that that be based on um, employment rates and things of that nature, that that number has only increased. And so I see an even greater role for women's education. Um, women are going to be looking for new educational opportunities. They, women's education does a particularly good job at elevating women and giving them more, more confidence. Our adult women graduate 50% higher than other graduates in similar programs. So I think in fact, this pandemic has only highlighted the need for greater attention to women in the economy, women in careers, and women's educational institutions, colleges, are in the best position uh, to help meet that need. There has never been a better time to study higher education, and the Baypath University Master's Degree Program in Higher Education Administration has been designed with this in mind. Through the highly practical and relevant coursework, you will learn to identify emerging trends and apply cutting-edge practices to address the challenges faced by higher education professionals today. Classes start every eight weeks and are taught entirely online by supportive professionals who have deep knowledge and skill in the practice of higher education. The BayPath program offers unique concentrations in enrollment management, institutional advancement, and online teaching and program administration, in addition to a joint entry track with the doctorate in higher ed leadership and organizational studies for highly qualified applicants. Whether you are already a higher education professional or are looking to switch professions, the Masters in Higher Ed Administration from Baypath University will expand your career opportunities and provide you with mentoring and lifelong networks of like-minded professionals. Take the next step by visiting our website at baypath.edu slash higheredadmin. The need for qualified administrators in higher education has never been greater. Again, that's baypath.edu slash higheredadmin. You have a reputation for... Uh, innovation. You've, you've been described as a highly innovative thinker, a bold leader, and you did uh, call out innovation. Uh, Baypath's innovative uh, spirit is one of the things that uh, attracted you to Baypath. So I'm curious how, how uh, you developed an innovative mindset, how you sustain it, uh, particularly uh, when things are tough, there's a lot of pressure to hunker down and uh, the the daily challenges of anybody in a president's role, um, you know, could could drain the creativity and the imagination of anyone. So, how do you find the courage to keep innovating? And and what are your thoughts about innovation generally? One of the um, the aspects of my career 
And as you highlighted, you know, I've been the CEO of an educational technology company. I've been a lawyer in a commercial environment. I have led higher education institutions. What I would say is in, as we think about innovation, it's really important to look outside the academy as well as inside. So where can we learn from what other industries are experiencing? Where can we learn about where we see careers for the future emerging? Uh, what, what can we learn about how students learn, how they want to learn? Um, and it's bringing all those things together that creates, I believe, uh, the Petri dish, which helps uh, mm -hmm. innovation flourish. And so I believe that the more we can uh, look at what we do and marry it with what we see the future as becoming, um, the, more, the more robust and innovative society we will have and translating that to Baypath um, is what we do best. So under your leadership, Melissa, of course, we developed some really innovative uh, new graduate degrees. And we began to think about how to educate adult learners differently. And we began to think about hybrid models. And we've got this amazing uh, doctorate in higher education where we bring together all these different creative people from all these different fields. And that's where the magic happens in terms of innovation. Mm. So on a related note, if I were to ask you where you get your best ideas from, it sounds like the answer in part is from the outside, from looking outward. Um, do you have some specific examples of how you have done that or how you might see that playing out uh, in the, the, the years ahead? Well, I think it's very important to continue to scan the environment. So as we see something really innovative happening, perhaps in healthcare, you know, we think about, okay, is there a practice there? Is there a, a system there that would be incredibly valuable uh, for our students? So as you know, we're an extremely student-centric organization. We focus on the needs of students, uh, whether it's in our online program, whether it's in our on-ground program, our hybrid program, our focus is uniformly what is best for students. And so as we think about that, and we think about uh, the careers that our students will be um, looking to and hopefully leading, because a really important foundational piece for women's colleges is that empowerment piece, that women's leadership, uh, women, are very collaborative, which is really an important uh, issue here. And so how do we build those communities where we can continue to push forward innovation? And I think, we, I think we hear it from a lot of different places. The other place I look, Melissa, is uh, to technology. Not for technology's mm -hmm. sake, but how does it enable the learning? How does it enable the research? How does it enable uh, creativity? And so that's where I think uh, looking at the academy is absolutely critical, but you must marry the academy and our thinking here with external thinking in terms of technology 
in terms of careers, in terms of partnerships. I think partnerships are going to become even more valuable than they have been already. So it's something that we're taking a very close look at, uh, partnering with businesses, partnering with institutions. You know, sometimes one plus one equals three. And so looking for those opportunities <laughs> for our students, faculty, and staff um, are going to be a priority for us. For sure. And I agree with you on the partnerships. I think especially for smaller uh, resource constrained institutions, which is most of us these days, you know, uh, none of us have all the resources uh, within our own four walls to do what we need to do. And so we will all be stronger in partnership. So I'm really glad to hear you. And, and you started you so much that. of that work, Melissa, you know, with your cybersecurity program, genetic counseling program, uh, applied behavior analysis, all of these programs um, have grown as the result of some very good partnerships. So thank you for your leadership in that area. Oh, you're welcome. No, but we, we can't, can't stand, stand still, still, can we? Because <laughs> other people are thinking like we're thinking. And so. so it's important that we continue with that innovation, that we continue to push forward. Um, and that is something that I believe this pandemic has accelerated uh, the need mm. for and the gaps mm. around. Our students in some way are ahead of us. Mm. They're saying, uh, yes, it's important to have an education, but an education doesn't sit to the side, it's integrated with. And so many mm. students are saying, how do I continue in my career and continue with my education? And that's where those partnerships are gonna be just so valuable. Indeed. So what gives you hope as you look forward to the future? And thinking specifically about a small um, student-centric mission-focused institution like BayPath, how, how, how might institutions like BayPath carve out a sustainable path going forward? What gives any, me hope is our students. Our students are focused. They mm -hmm. are passionate they are looking to the future. They want to have an impact on their families, on their communities, on their regions. And if we listen to our students, they will lead us forward. Our job, of course, is to mm -hmm. find financially sustainable ways to do that. But if we listen to what they see as the future, to, to our partners, if we listen to them about where their needs are, um, you know, if we continue to develop robust technology solutions for many of the, many of the avenues that our students are looking to engage with and in, um, you know, we will be a leader. Mm. So we have a signature question that we ask of every guest who comes on the Ingenious Podcast. And I think this question is especially timely right now as we look to what we hope will be the end of the pandemic sometime soon. And you've touched on this, but I'm going to ask you to go back and take one more run at, um, at responding. Here, here's the question. As you look to the future as the leader of a small private university located in one of the toughest regions in the country for demographics and the projected enrollment decline, what is on your radar specifically? What are those top few things that you believe are essential for the future of BayPath and institutions 
like BAPAP? I think about the future of higher education. I think about the value proposition. I think about the careers that our students uh, will be leaning into. And I think that the blueprint for higher education is really the blueprint, blueprint excuse me, for America. You know, there are some institutions, Melissa, that long to go back to what we, you know, refer to as the quad. Uh, that's not necessarily what students want. They're looking for flexibility. They want to take courses. Mm -hmm. They want to take degree programs that fit best with their schedules and their responsibilities. And one of the things that has really emerged from this pandemic is most college students, and by that I mean students that are going to college, have many more responsibilities than just coming to class. And so flexibility is going to be the number one focus. The second focus is going to be developing those skills, those foundational skills that students really need to be successful. And this is, a, this is something we've excelled at all along. Critical thinking, leadership, communications, in addition to the content skills. But not all professions need a degree. Some professions need a credential, a micro-credential, a certificate. And so what we need to be thinking about and what we are thinking about is how can we offer either supplemental, incremental, or embedded certificates so that when our graduates leave BayPath, not only do they have the degree, but they have these embedded certificates, uh, which we know add value. Gallup Poll recently did a survey. And what they found was that liberal arts graduates with a certificate in a more uh, technical area, like web design, began their careers at higher levels and with higher salaries. So it's really important to us that we position our students in the best possible way. So I would say that was the second thing. So the first is flexibility. The second is a focus on those foundational skills. The third is we must provide our students for careers and we must prepare them for their careers. So we must help our students be very intentional with the courses that they take so that when they emerge, they are well prepared to tackle uh, whatever career they're planning for. Uh, the fourth thing is we must continue to be student centric. Everybody must move to student centricity. It must be at the core of everything we do. Every time we introduce a program, every time we think about the student experience, uh, every time we think about how to register a student, how do we provide a, a great career innovation center for students? It must be with that core question in mind, what is best for students? I, I can't help but think about the cost of higher education when I think about higher education. You know, as we know, the cost has gone up exponentially over the last 10 or 15 years. And so we have, must think about that business model. Uh, are we delivering the greatest value at the right price? And so re-examining that again with a lens of how do we deliver a very high quality, the highest quality education uh, at a price that our students uh, can afford is going to be extremely important. 
I think about data and technology. You know, how can we best use technology again, to, not for technology's sake, because that's not the end goal. The end goal is learning for our students. So that is gonna be very important, continuing to embrace technology, continuing to enhance the student experience with appropriate technology so that their student experience is even better. And then finally, we're very focused here on diversity, equity, and inclusion, as we mentioned earlier. We must continue to embrace all voices and to make sure that everyone in the higher ed community and the Bay Path community feels included in the conversation. And so we're being very deliberate, uh, both at the board level, as well as the faculty, staff, and student level to say, do we have the right uh, construct? Do we have the right structures so that we are really inviting people uh, into the conversation and then listening? So it's an exciting time in higher education. Uh, as you said, we've got some challenges all across education, but we feel strongly that working together, working with faculty, staff, board, and most importantly, students, that we will solve the problems at hand. Well, indeed, and it, it's obvious as I listen to you that BayPath is in really good hands with your leadership and the agenda that you have just mapped out is a compelling and such uh, an appropriate agenda for all of higher ed to consider as we begin uh, what we hope is going to be a much brighter and lighter uh, period ahead for for all of our institutions. And so President Doran, I am so uh, appreciative of your time, uh, your wisdom, your insights. This has been a an invigorating conversation and uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, for, Melissa. It's been a joy to be with today. you, and I look forward uh, to continuing the conversation. I'm Melissa Morris-Olson, and you've been listening to Ingenious You. My thanks to our production assistants, Madeline Olson and Marcy Moore. Ingenious U is a production of CELLUP, the Center for Higher Ed Leadership and Innovative Practice at Baypath University. Check out our website at baypath.edu slash CELLUP for information about our professional development opportunities for higher ed professionals, including our blog and our Leading Edge Thinking in Higher Ed monthly webinar series. If you like what you hear on this podcast, be sure to review and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do share Ingenious You with your friends and colleagues so that they too can join our community. We are really excited about next week's conversation with the internationally renowned higher ed futurist and best-selling author, Dr. Brian Alexander. We will hear from Brian about his take on the future of higher ed, as well as its insights about what leaders and professionals should be doing now to best plan for a post-pandemic future. Be sure to subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so that you do not miss out on this episode. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. 
stay healthy and be well.